It's a good day to be here and worship, and I'm glad that all of you came. Um, yesterday was a great day to celebrate Jim Sparks' life, but as with any funeral day, I always feel like I need some worship to get me going after that, don't you, Pat? And seeing a little baby up front isn't hurting at all. So if I seem a little distracted, that baby is so cute. I'm not looking at Pat. Pat's not cute. I mean, <laughs> to Wendy, Pat's cute, but to me, no. But uh, there's a baby up here, and he's just adorable. And I missed Izzy and and uh, Stuart's baby was here last week. I didn't get a chance to see that one. So anyway, God is bringing new life all around us. I want to turn your attention to the scripture that was briefly mentioned in that video and kind of segue into that. And John chapter 16 is where that's from, uh, the, the scripture about in this world you will have trouble. And just to kind of give you a heads up of what Jesus was doing in that passage, he was essentially giving his disciples an updated timeline. He was bringing them up to speed. He was trying to prepare them for what was to come. It isn't too long after that passage that Jesus ends up in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then, of course, he's arrested, and we begin the events of Holy Week. And so Jesus was essentially preparing them for the fact that he was going to go away, and they would be saddened, and then he would come back, and they would rejoice. And so he's trying to, to communicate to them all of these great things. And, of course, the disciples had their typical we-don't-understand response because Jesus was speaking in some figurative language language and terms. And so finally Jesus just lays it all out there and speaks plainly to them. And their answer to that is, wow, now we get it, okay? Our questions have been answered. We understand what you're saying. Now we can fully believe that you did come from the Father in heaven. And in, in John 16, 31 through 33, we have kind of the response of Jesus to their remarks. And so this is what he said. Jesus says, do you finally believe? I, I, I sense a little bit of, you know, humor in Jesus' voice. Like, you finally caught on, huh? You finally got, I had to literally spell it out for you, but you finally got it. Anybody else feel like God has to do that for you? You know, God's trying to tell you something and you misunderstand eight times and finally you get it right. Yeah, I, I've been through that myself. Anyway, he says, do you finally believe? But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. When you will be scattered, each one of you going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone, he says, because the Father is with me. I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. I want to just break verse 33 especially into pieces this morning, and let's take a closer look at what Jesus is saying. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Now, just so you know, I always want to try to do a little bit of teaching here, and so the word that's translated earth there is the word cosmos or cosmos in the Greek, and it's important because that word is the same word as the end of verse 33 where he says, I have overcome the world. The word earth and the word world are actually the same Greek word. And most translations say world in both places, but for whatever reason, the New Living Translation, which I read this morning, decided to change it to earth. But that's going to become a little bit more important later on. And so the word earth is cosmos. Now, the word that is translated for, or the, the word that is translated to get trials and sorrows is that word um, that most people translate as trouble, and it's flipsis. Try saying that. Flipsis. It's, it's pretty fun to say, actually. Um, and that word can mean a, a couple of different things. Trouble, distress, oppression, tribulation, but the overall meaning 
is this idea of just trouble. In other words, not good times, right? Not the good times, rather the bad times. The New Living Translation decided to split it up into two words to try to cover more ground, but I think the word trouble kind of covers it. In this world, you will have trouble. And, And I would take that a step further. I believe that trouble is actually a product of the world we're living in. I think trouble is a natural byproduct of living in a world that is fallen. Do you understand what I mean when I say the word fallen? You see, there's a story in the Old Testament in the Bible, all the way back in Genesis, about how God created this perfect place in this perfect garden. He called it Eden. Anybody remember that story? And he put two knuckleheads, I mean two people in the garden. He put Adam and Eve in the garden and he told them you have basically one rule. You can eat from anything, you can do whatever you want, but don't eat from this particular tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what did they do? As soon as the words came out of his mouth, okay, where is it? Your children ever do that to you? Don't touch that thing. Where is it? Yeah. So basically, they eat of the apple, they disobey God, and the world is fallen from that moment on. Sin enters into the world. And because sin entered into the world, Scripture tells us that all of us have sinned. Now, you can go back and forth with that. Either we all have the seed of sin because Adam and Eve sinned, or it might be more accurate that God knew that every single one of us, if put in their position, would make the same choice. And and in fact has at some time or another in their lives. If you're perfect today, I'd like you to raise your hand because I'd like to see the one human being that is. I don't see any hands going up, so it's good. We're all in the same playing field. Every single one of us, if put in that position, probably would have and does in our current lives choose from time to time to make the wrong choice. And because of that, we live in a fallen world. And because we live in a fallen world, trouble, difficulty, trials, sorrows, tribulations are a part of the experience of living in this fallen world that we're a part of. It is not a perfect world. And if you grew up thinking it was going to be, or if your parents somehow shielded you from it, let me tell you, there is trouble in the world. Not only does Jesus say it, but the disciples experienced it. There are those that want to fluff it and say, listen, if you just become a Christian, if you accept Jesus, your life will be all glitter and kittens from now on. I use that term assuming that some of you think glitter is a positive thing. I personally do not. That's not the way life is. Listen, every single one of the disciples almost died, we're pretty sure, a horrible death at the hands of persecutors. They had a hard life. They didn't have it easy. Just because they followed Jesus didn't mean that nothing bad ever happened to them. They had more trouble after they followed Jesus than I'm sure they would have if they hadn't. Jesus said it, and I believe it. And sometimes the trouble that is a part of this world is a direct result of our actions. Sometimes we do things that get us into trouble. Amen? I better hear some amens out there because I've heard the stories of some of your lives. And sometimes it's our own actions that gets us into trouble. Sometimes the trouble that happens to us is a result of the connections and the relationships that we have with other people. That's part of bearing the burden of friendship, um, is, is that we bear one another's burdens. And sometimes being related to other people in, in relationship means that we have to carry the burdens and, and some of that trouble that comes into our lives is because of them. Now, that does not mean that we should avoid relationships because they get messy. That's part of 
the joy and the burden of being related, the responsibility of it, it is both a beautiful thing and a hard thing because if you're gonna truly be friends with another person, then you need to be willing to walk with them through the difficult times as well as through the good times. And I gotta tell you, I see today a trend that says that, man, if your life is filled with drama, I don't want any part of you because I've got enough drama in my own life. And I've got news for you. The people walking away for you are just doing the exact same thing that you're doing to others. And there is a, a desert of relationship in our society today. You know why? Because we all have devices that we can replace people with. Friends, if you have relationships, they will lead to some trouble and some drama from time to time, but it is worth it because we were created for each other. Sometimes um, the, the trouble happens because in this world you will have trouble <laughs> there's no rhyme to it sometimes there's no reason for it sometimes bad things just happen and yes they happen to the good and the bad god sends the rain upon the just and the unjust alike listen trouble is a part of this world and the sooner we accept that the sooner we can move on to how do we best get through it and if, this world is, if in this world we will have trouble, I can make a New Year's prediction for you. If there is trouble in the world, then this next year you're going to find some what? Trouble. This is not going to be the year of your dreams, most likely. This is not going to be the year that, that you wrote to Santa about and wanted. This is not going to be the year that you lit your birthday candles and wished for as you blew them out. This is not going to be the perfect world that you were dreaming about as you were watching your Hallmark movies where everybody gets everything they want except for the evil ex-boyfriend when the girl leaves him for the guy in flannel from the vineyard or the country inn or the... Have I summed it up accurately? Listen, life is not a Hallmark story, and this year will have trouble. I guarantee it. This coming year will contain trouble. It isn't going to be easy, just like this past year wasn't easy. But listen, every year contains loss. Every year contains difficulty. Every year we face challenges we don't want to face. And every year things change that we would rather not see change. Am I right? Every year there's some of that, and we need to know that. Jesus makes it clear that in this world we will have trouble, and that means the coming year will hold its fair share of trouble. But Jesus also goes on to say that the reason he's describing all these things to the disciples is so that they can find peace in him. It, it seems kind of awkward because he says this before the trouble part. He says, you know, I'm telling you all this stuff. I'm giving you a picture of the future so that you can have peace in me. I want you to have peace, so guess what? You're going to have trouble. Doesn't that sound a little odd? That sounds like kind of the opposite of what we would think Jesus would say. Um, peace is the Greek word irene. It, it has to do with the, the idea of peace or freedom from worry, freedom from anxiety. Boy, that's something we all need a little bit of, amen? Peace from anxiety. It seems like anxiety these days is at an all-time high. And, and the problem is this. We think peace is the absence of trouble, right? We think peace only comes when, when we are quietly at rest and nothing bad is happening. We all have our own idea of what a peaceful afternoon, for instance, would be. Mine personally, every Sunday morning, I dream of the moment I can get home and sit in my recliner and watch an NFL football game without being disturbed. It hasn't happened in 26 years. Wait, how old's Caleb? Almost 30 years. It hasn't happened. 
Listen, but I'll take a NASCAR race because those put me to sleep faster than anything else on the planet. To Tori, that's not her idea of peace. Her idea of peace probably has something to do with grandchildren or shopping. I'm not sure which it would be, but shopping without me along to nag her about how long it's taking and how much money we're spending. We all have our own ideas of what peace is, but most of them have to do with nothing having to do with trouble. And and let me tell you something. I think I came up with this, but I might have heard it. Peace is not the absence of trouble. It's the presence of Jesus. You can Instagram that if you want. I might have seen it on Instagram. Maybe that's why it's so good. But think about that for a moment. Peace is not the absence of trouble. It is the presence of Jesus, the ultimate companion, the one who walks with us, who promised he would never leave us or forsake us. That's what peace is. It's walking with Jesus. We think um, in in the way that, that if we're going through difficult times, we can't have peace. But Jesus says exactly the opposite. He says, I'm saying all these things to you so that you will have peace in me In this world, you're going to have trouble, but you're also still going to have that peace. Um, When we walk with him and we live in his presence, we are able to find peace even when there's trouble, even when there are challenges, even when things change that we don't want to change, even when we experience loss and difficulty and struggles and challenges. And you know what? There's a lot of pressures in this modern world. And a lot of times I think that the anxiety or the lack of peace that we feel is sometimes because of the expectations that people have for us because there are high expectations in this. We live in a world that loves to love people who produce and who succeed. And I got news for you. Your happiness, your peace should never come from what you produce. It shouldn't be that way. And and sometimes we place that on ourselves, that pressure that we have to perform, and we feel like our own value can't really be there unless we perform. I in our disciples one class, I wish Levi was here today. He's sick today because I'm I'm gonna give him credit for this. In our disciples class, Levi had a highlight one day that kind of clued in on this. And it was something that he read in the scripture, but it keyed back to something he was studying at school. And that's what the whole point of the Disciples One class is there for, to teach you how to read scripture and as you're reading it, to find connections to real life so that that scripture gets applied in your life and you remember it and and the connections in your brain are made so that when you need that information, it comes up. And Levi came in one day and he shared that, that they had been studying this at school and he found a connection to it in scripture that oftentimes we want people to love us unconditionally right no matter what we've done no matter what we do no matter what we produce but we sometimes don't love ourselves unconditionally we have standards for ourselves and sometimes we don't love ourselves we think of ourselves as only lovable if we're able to contribute something to society or if we're able to contribute something to a relationship or contribute something to someone's problems And sometimes we place so much pressure on ourselves to perform that that we can't even love ourselves unconditionally, and yet that's what we're supposed to do with other people, and that's what we want people to do with us. And man, I'll tell you what, that Levi, he's a sharp kid. I look for great things from him someday. In fact, someday soon you may hear him preach in this pulpit. He's going to do it at school. We're going to see how that goes. i got to make sure he tells a couple dad jokes in the middle because those are necessary. But man, what a great concept. Listen, often our self-image is tied to what we think we can contribute to society, 
to the lives of those around us. And if we don't contribute enough, then we feel like we failed. And, and here comes the anxiety. And I got to tell you, as a pastor, I feel this so deeply. I'm a people pleaser by nature. I've always been that way. And I've really fought hard to try to overcome that because I don't want that to be the story of my life. Jeff, you know, went around doing things to try to make other people always happy. Now, I like it when people are happy with me, but that shouldn't be what drives us. And the other night, (laughs) this has been happening more and more since COVID, but the other night I was laying in bed and my wife, you know, she kind of sensed that I was tossing and turning a little bit and she said, what is wrong with you? (laughs) She's so loving and caring late at night when she's tired. She probably didn't say it that way, but that's what I got. What, what, what are you doing? I said, I don't know what's going on, but my resting heart rate is usually 65, 66, somewhere in that ballpark, and my heart is pounding out of my chest. It's like 89, 90, up to 100. Now it's back down to 70. Now it's back up to 80. I don't know what's happening. And I was a little freaked out, to be perfectly honest. Isn't it great that we have technology that can keep us anxious about things like that (laughs) what am i what's it doing now oh it's going up again oh now it's going up even more i wonder why you know and i'm just laying there and i couldn't i'm like this this is weird so i started breathing deeply and doing all those things you see on tv that you're supposed to do and i rolled over to tell her it was going back down (laughs) you know she's gone she loves me i know she does but and so the next day I'm still thinking about that. Why? Why is my heart rate when I'm laying in bed spiking at 80 and 90? And all of a sudden, I realized that before that happened, I had been thinking about the fact that I didn't have enough done on my sermon for where we were in the week. And I was anxious about that. All of a sudden, my heart rate is spiking. See what you people do to me? And it suddenly clicked. I am anxious about my Sunday morning performance. I don't know about you, but when I stand here before you and preach, that whole idea is God says something through me. It shouldn't be me. So I shouldn't have to be anxious about this, right? So why am I? Because we all place expectations on ourselves that are not the expectations God has for us. And we forget that that God loves us simply because we were created, because we were born, because we're made in His image, because we exist. God loves us. Listen, we are a part in this church. We are part of God's kingdom. This church is just one little facet, one little corner, one little piece of God's eternal kingdom where people live together as a part of his culture and his life. And in this church, I believe you can have peace in the person of Jesus. And even though we want you to serve and we want you to learn and we want you to grow in your faith, your growth and your service is never tied to the value that we place on you, or at least it shouldn't be as a church. I want you to know right now that as the pastor of this church, I am issuing a decree. I've never done this before. This should be fun. That every single person who comes in the door should not ever be judged based on their performance, but should be loved for the fact that they are one of God's children. 
that's how it should be here. Now again, I believe the most you know, fruitful life, the most joyful, peaceful way to live life is when you do find your place to serve, when you do grow in your faith and your, your relationship with Christ, and when you do find relationships in the church that can connect you to Jesus. I believe that builds a better life. But listen, your self-worth should never depend on whether you remember to read your Bible this week. Will it help you to live the Christian life? Absolutely. But your worth does not depend on your performance. God loves you for who you are. So you know what? This anxiety that we've built in as a culture for our own performance needs to stop. Jesus can give us peace. You are valuable because God made you, not because you have something to offer. The main thing is to be at peace in Jesus as you walk with him. And I believe he will help us to bear the fruit that each of us is to bear as children of his. In this world, you will have trouble. But Jesus is the peace even in that trouble. And finally, the last part of that verse um, is the one everybody wants to get to because it's the victory part. Everybody likes the wahoo parts of the scripture, you know, where we can cheer and stuff. In this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, right? Take heart. The New Living Translation says, I have overcome the world. That should get an amen, right? Jesus has overcome the world. And again, let's go back to that world word. What is it? It's cosmos. And so the, the two words are the same word. In this cosmos, you will have trouble, but I have overcome the cosmos. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, listen, I have overcome all of the difficulty and all the trouble that is a product of this world that you're living in. All of it is under my control. All of it has been overcome by the power of my blood and the death that I gave on the cross of Calvary. I have overcome the world. In this world you will have trouble, but I have overcome this world. I, I'm currently reading a book that um, is by J.B. Phillips, and it, it proposes that our God is too small. You ever thought about that? Does that offend you if I say the words, our God is too small. Now, what he actually means by that is not that God is small. He, he actually is, is saying that our concept of God, what we believe about God, consciously and subconsciously, is too small. It's, it's just not big enough. Uh, his hypothesis is that many of us who grew up in the church heard a version of God from our parents, from our Sunday school teachers, and others that was designed to help us to understand. In other words, God was made age-appropriate to us so that they could teach us, you know, on simple things like a flannel graph. Anybody remember the flannel graph? Did, did anybody else as a kid hide the flannel graph characters from the teachers, or is that just me? Oh, I had so much fun hiding those things. They could never find the donkey. We always hid the donkey somewhere. There's probably still donkeys hidden in my home church basement somewhere. But anyway, they, they dumbed it down to some degree. And why did they do that? Because we were young. We were impressionable. We didn't understand like we can understand as adults. And so they gave us a version of the gospel that we could understand. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's absolutely what you must do, right? You have to, to preach and to teach a gospel that children can understand. Unfortunately, what happened in a lot of cases is as we grew up in the church, sometimes as we got older and were able to take on more serious teaching about God, many of us left the church or we walked away from church or maybe the church assumes since we indoctrinated you as children, we don't need to teach you anymore. And we never got a grown-up version of who God is. And so our conception of God is still the one that lives in the flannel graph. 
is still the one that, that, that it comes from the theology of Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And so in, in our adult lives, when questions and difficulties and challenges come up, we say, because the Bible tells me so. Well, well no, that's not an answer. What, what about this? What about that? What about science? What about technology? What about um, you know, biology? What about this? What about that? And we tell our children what? Because the Bible said it's so. Friends, we're not allowing our God to be big enough. Now, I have this sense and I have this feeling, that, and I don't want to say too much about this because I'm pretty sure this is going to become a series pretty soon. But I have this sense and feel that, that we have the idea that, that God is big enough for Jesus' time, but he might not be big enough for our time. I think this, and I wrote this down, we don't believe in our subconscious minds that God is big enough to handle the complexities of modern life. Because, you know, things are way different than they were in Jesus' time. They didn't have to worry about computers. They didn't have to worry about the internet. They didn't have to worry about um, creation versus evolution. They didn't have to worry about any of that stuff that now we're so terribly concerned about. And I've got news for you. The complexities that exist today probably existed then just in a different form. I've got news for you. The seven deadly sins have been around since the beginning of time. And they haven't changed. Listen, my disciples one class is studying. We started in Genesis. We're reading all the way through. And the one thing we keep coming back to is there has always been horrible sin in the world since the fall. There really isn't anything new. But we don't think that God is big enough. Maybe he was big enough for the world back then, but he's not big enough now. Today we have scientific advances and technological breakthroughs and psychological research, all that present challenges to our conception of who God is and what he is all about. And we think because we're learning that the universe is so much bigger than we could have ever imagined that that somehow undermines the authority of God and his word. And I got news for you. All it should do is reinforce the fact that God is way bigger than we ever thought. Because if God created the universe, and the universe is so much bigger than we could have ever dreamed or imagined, then that means God is bigger than that. Really? I mean, how in the world could we have such a small view of God? If he created all that exists, then he is bigger than our church. How many times have you heard, you know, people say jokingly, well, I'm sure if God were walking among us, he'd attend our church. <laughs> well, God's definitely a church of God guy. He's definitely a Baptist if you were Baptist. He's definitely Methodist if you were Methodist. Oh, God is Catholic, no question about it. God. I got news for you. God is bigger than our churches, bigger than our denominations. And to our dismay, God is not an American We can tell that by his work ethic. <laughs> Unfortunately, today, it's coming back. I think we're going to do better. But God has, he's bigger than countries. He's bigger than race. He's bigger than this world. We had a thr thrilling conversation with my son and daughter-in-law about whether or not there could be life on other planets over Christmas. It's what pastors do in their off time. I believe God is so much bigger than our conception. There could be life on other planets. Who's to say? With all the billions of galaxies that are out there, could there be? I don't know. Maybe. 
I personally like to think about it. I think it's a fun thought. But here's the deal. Whether there is or isn't, he is far greater than anything we could ever conceive or imagine. So let's put those two concepts together. God is huge. And you're going to have trouble this year. And Jesus said, in this world you're going to have trouble, but I have overcome the world. Guess what? God is big enough to handle your trouble this year and next year and the year after that and until the day that you die. God is big enough to handle the trouble that comes into your life. He is big enough for your questions. God is big enough for us to be able to question him. Do you realize that? Some of us just want to live in this little world of the Bible said so! Don't think about it any deeper than that. Friends, we're losing our young people because of that kind of thinking. Because they look at what we're teaching and they look at what the Bible says and they see the discrepancies in some of the things that are happening there and they have questions and our only answer to them is God is big enough, but it's this God that you have to look at. And I've got news for you. He's big enough that he can withstand the questions that our children and our our young people are asking today. And the Bible says so is not an appropriate answer. Does the Bible say so? Absolutely. Is the Bible true? Absolutely. But friends, there is more that needs to be thought through than just the words on the page. The Bible is a living book. And if it's going to live, then we have to let it live. And we have to be willing to struggle with hard questions with those who are asking them. And God is big enough that he can handle that and still be God. We have to be ready and willing to answer the questions. God is bigger than your problems. He's bigger than the trouble. He's bigger than our loss. He's bigger than our uncertainty. He is bigger than everything in this world. And so the trouble that we will encounter this year, God is already bigger than that. And we can handle it through him. So to summarize this year, you will have trouble. Isn't that inspiring? That's a great word. You're going to have trouble. But Jesus has overcome that trouble already. It's in the past tense. Did you notice that? I have overcome the world. The work has already been done. All you have to do is recognize it. And in the midst of that trouble, you will have peace in Him if you walk in Him. Pray with me. Father, you are such an incredibly big God. So much so that I I worry that sometimes we may never fully grasp you. In fact, I'm certain of that fact. Because if we could fully grasp who you are and how you work and, and how you designed this world, then we would be gods ourselves. And so we submit ourselves to the struggle and to the tension of growing in our knowledge of you and our wisdom about you every single day of our lives until the day that we get to join you in heaven where we will forever experience your presence. In this world, Lord, we know that trouble is is a part of it. It's a product of a fallen world. But Father, we thank you for your assurance that you have already overcome the difficulties we face and that you will walk through us, with us. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. And that peace is there because you are there, not because our problems have all gone away. Lord, we don't want trouble. (laughs) We don't want problems. And I pray that 
for each person hearing the sound of my voice that you would go before them and maybe try to clear a path for them. We would love for you to do that. But we also know that sometimes those difficult times and and those difficult questions and the uncertainties that we face, sometimes going through those things cause our faith to grow and deepen in ways that we could never do if we didn't have those struggles. And God, we pray that you would help us more than trying to avoid the problems, to learn to walk through them hand in hand with you so you can teach us and so that we can learn about you. Give us your peace in the coming year as we know that you are bigger than anything we will face. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Turn your neighbor and say, God is bigger. And then you can be dismissed.